Retail metrics go in and out of fashion, but some key metrics are gaining more prominence among high-performance retailers. Attend NHPA's webinar on key retail metrics on Wednesday, March 17th to learn how to evaluate the success of your business by unlocking insight into employee productivity, marketing, and more. Hear exclusive insight from Jim Robish, senior partner of the Farnsworth Group, and discover how retailers are using key metrics to put their business on a path to success. Register to attend the webinar today by visiting yournhpa.org webinars. Welcome to another episode of Hardware Retailing's podcast, Tell Me More, hosted by myself, Renee Shagnon. In today's episode, I'm talking with Jim Wilkerson and his son, Andy Wilkerson of Blackhawk Hardware in Charlotte, North Carolina. Barbara and Jim Wilkerson opened Blackhawk Hardware in 1977, and today, Andy co-owns and runs the operation. The company is hardware-focused, but has a little bit of everything, and recently added an additional 12,000 square feet to the store footprint. Tune in to hear about the history of the operation, what makes Blackhawk Hardware unique, and more. Welcome to the podcast, Jim and Andy. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to have you guys. I feel like I've I have uh, for many years kind of admired your operation just from following you guys online, and so I'm excited to get get the chance to talk to you and learn more. Um, but before we really dive in, I'd love to kind of learn a little bit about both of you, um, kind of your background and what brought you into the industry. So Jim, I'd love to hear like what you were doing before Blackhawk Hardware and then Andy, what made you want to kind of join the family business and, and remain a part of it? Well, I was in uh, sales before uh, going into the hardware business. I sold office equipment for about five, five years after I got out of college. And basically I didn't have a large enough territory to really keep me busy all the time. So I was always yeah. looking for something to eat up time. And a friend of mine or fellow employee were killing time at a, a large hardware in Charlotte. And I kept walking around <laughs> thinking, you know, I really enjoy this. This, this is a neat thing, the hardware business. And from that, I just started researching it. And it took about a year, year and a half to uh, come up with a business plan on opening a hardware store. Back when you were in sales, was it something that you could have ever seen yourself being your own like business owner, or opening your own business? Or was that something when you started kind of playing around with it, you're like, oh, that's actually a cool idea? Well, I guess I always knew I'd probably have to be in business for myself because I have a, a genetic um, predisp predisposition to tell somebody when I think they're full of uh, crap. <laughs> And I love it. So I, I didn't see myself going a long way corporately. So I figured I would. I've always wanted to be in my business for myself, I guess, and have ADD. And it's, you know, just something that, that I enjoy doing. Yeah. So. yeah. so what was it like, um, Andy, growing up in the hardware business for you with your parents? It's kind of hard. To, it's kind of hard to describe because I've never known anything else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's uh. So were you working on on Saturdays, coming in, helping in the store, sweeping sweeping the floors, clearing the shelves, that type of thing from a young age? Uh, yes. Uh, I have they 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 towed the line. They never forced me to come in and work, so I never never ever hated coming in. But I ended up coming yeah. in a lot and cashiering, bagging, you know, those type of things. Yeah. So did you work at the store in high school and stuff too then? Uh, no, uh, I, I, I uh, went and I took a job at Harris Teeter and I think someplace else too. Part of, uh, part of their philosophy was they wanted, they wanted me to have take jobs elsewhere to see what other places were like. Cause you know, it's a very important, you know, important thing in a family business to understand that, you know, there's other ways of doing it. And, you know, in the chart going, what do, what do we do well? What don't we do well? That type of thing. 
Yeah. So when you, um, before you started working in the operation, what were your kind of thoughts and, and were you in other, in another industry, like kind of what led you back to the family business if you had gone away from it at all? Uh, actually 2008 led me from the uh, family business uh, the crash 2008. I was actually, I've got a master's in uh, industrial design. I was working at design firms here in Charlotte. I was wow. happy as can be. We were billing out, I was, you know, billing out 60 hours a week, so on and so forth. And overnight it went from billing out 60 hours a week to four hours a week. <laughs> um, and uh, at that point I took a job running or took a job with a fencing company here in, up in Charlotte, do a bunch of um, engineering and things like that. And they, he's a guy I still keep in contact with. And he he's, it was his third business he'd started. He had two other, two more in Canada. So he was going back and forth. So I started, I ended up just becoming a, almost a de facto CEO there because I just, I just never asked permission. I just kept on doing, I just kept on making up new things and yeah. doing it. And uh, he finally came in. He was like, you know, I, you know, I just want you to, you know, I want to be doing these things. I need you to do these other things. I was like, yeah, that doesn't really interest me all that much. So I was like, I'll, I'll come back to Blackhawk and see what, see what's like here. And honestly, I do more design work and things of that nature here than I ever did in design firms. So um, I, I read about this, so I kind of have an inkling, but I'd love to hear a little bit from you guys about how you came up with the name for Blackhawk Hardware. Um, and then what was kind of the response to the business when you did open it? And like, obviously it's it's done well since it's still a staple in the community, but maybe tell me about the 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 name i'm sure some people from chicago would be excited to hear this story well as i said i was in um selling office equipment and i think we got into discussion one day about the names of businesses and at that point there was triple a this and acme this and all of that and someone said oh well the reason that for that is back then the phone book was just a, a giant um marketing thing, you being in the phone book and being first in the phone book was important. And growing up, mm -hmm. last name like Wilkerson, I think I'd learned that what the end of the line always looked like. So I made up my mind I was going to name um, the business something that started in the first of the alphabet. And I'm not, wasn't that creative. So I went down to the library and I started grabbing phone books and I'd open it to the yellow pages and start flipping through it looking at the A's and B's and I was in a Chicago phone book and I think it was a, a restaurant, Blackhawk restaurant or something. And the name just kind of had a ring to it. It's, it's different enough where people can kind of uh, remember it or it, it just is unusual. And I also had figured out that I didn't want to name it by a location because there was already a, a store in town that was named for a street and then they moved to a different street and it, you know, it just, so I chose Blackhawk and it's really been uh, kind of unique enough that people remember it. So, so since you guys have been around since 1977, do you have a lot of um, like kind of next generation customers where it's like their, their kids used to come in and now they're the ones bringing their kids into the store? Like, do you hear a lot of stories like that from people? Yes, we it's we've got we have a very loyal customer base that we're very thankful for, and they're and it's yes, we're starting to get their kids in, and you know the biggest the biggest comment on on that on that that line is we used to have a Santa Claus that was here, and uh, for years and years and years Santa was a Blackhawk, and there's I think we're on fourth generations that now come in and want a picture on Santa's lap. Unfortunately, the gentleman that did it is no longer alive. So he passed away. Yeah. He was probably the greatest wow. Santa Claus I've ever. Yeah. I mean, he. No matter, a genuine beard. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, he's a genuinely nice guy too. Genuinely nice. And he took photos, and if it took a half an hour to get a good photo, he didn't care if there were sixty people waiting. He would take whatever time to uh, get a good photo. So he's a pretty amazing guy. And he, and he, he'd been doing, he was originally in Woolworths, I think, in the shopping center back in the fifties. And he moved someplace else to shopping center. Then he became Blackhawk when we took over pennies. So it was about that Santa Claus 
more uh, mm -hmm. not just a Santa Claus. So we've, I think we tried to replace, we tried to, when he retired, we, we brought someone else in. It just, it just wasn't the same. So we decided to, you know, let's, let's keep the good, let's keep the good memories alive, not create new bad ones. <laughs> I've got a picture of yeah. Andy when he was about five or six years old, sitting on Sonny's lap. It's actually down in the store. And people come in and look at it and say, oh, yeah. Is he crying or happy? Because I feel like parents these days like to post the pictures of their children looking absolutely terrified. <laughs> Where they're just like a, screaming their heads off. He had the, the ability to sit there and talk with the, with the child. And I love that. Put them at ease. It, it was pretty amazing. So they weren't scared. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I've never seen a scared picture with him, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think about it. Now, but I know what you're talking about. Those are the greatest pictures. The kids all freaked out. Yeah. Where <laughs> the kids just like, what's happening? <laughs> Well, I did notice from your social media, it looks like uh, Christmas time is a big deal in Blackhawk hardware. It looks like you guys do a lot with that. Is that something that's always kind of been part of the business over the years? It's it's something that, yes, it's been for a long time. It's, I, how did you imagine Blackhawk Drought started? Uh, I'm not sure. About 15 years ago, we just started adding a little bit to it and we kind of kept experiment around and it turned out that ornaments and uh was our specialty we've, we've never been able to sell like artificial trees or whatever but we uh ornaments yeah. and and things for your table like decorations for your tabletop and outdoor decorations that aren't inflatables um i mean believe it or not we have two people actually uh, my bar my mother uh and another buyer fly over to um Denmark or Netherlands. Netherlands. I was confused. Netherlands. Wow, that is so cool. They fly over to the Netherlands in December to buy for the next year of Christmas. Yeah. And there's a, a company there called Kamek that has like a 200,000 square foot showroom. And we we buy a lot of our stuff from there because they have such a unique, unique design. That's, they have their own factories, in yeah. fact, in, in China. So they pretty much design and you're not, you're not going to see it everywhere. And there's some really neat stuff, but it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a very elegant design too. Cause that's, cause that's the other thing we struggle against is that Christmas kind of comes in certain segments. There's the more the Walmart segment Christmas. And then there's the incredibly super, super high end ridiculous stuff. And then we try to hit the middle market which is yeah. nice but we're not paying two hundred dollars for an ornament or something you know it's not crystal yeah 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 i think that's the way to go with it too um so i'd love to hear a little bit about the charlotte community uh, and like kind of what your customers are like especially after a year like 2020 which was just kind of wild um what have what have they been like through through everything i'll be very honest like i, I i've said this early on in an interview in March, and I'll say it again, that it's, I've been amazed through the entire thing about how much people genuinely want to do the right thing. Genuinely, you know, out of 10 months, we maybe had four times where we had to, you know, really confront someone about not wearing a mask or something like that. People have been definitely all, you can tell they're more on edge, but it's, it, you know, it's also at the same time they were out of the house when they were here, so they're much happier, you know, so it was a, yeah. a it, it's, we have a incredibly, we have a fantastic customer base that's highly educated, that is all, you know, highly, excuse, very professional, they're doctors, lawyers, accountants, things like that, um, bankers, lots of bankers, <laughs> Charlotte. We're, we're yeah, in, yeah. About very high in, uh, Bank of America is there, right? Charlotte, I mean, probably overall in the state, it's one of the highest income areas. So we're basically dealing with professionals about 80% of the time and rather than uh, trade or whatever. And yeah, it's basically, we figured out that half the time we're really not selling hardware as much as we're selling time because most of the people we're dealing with, they got way more money than they got time. And we have to yeah. recognize that. So we've got more cashiers. We'll have like seven cashiers going on, uh, on a Saturday or Sunday, because I always go, when I'm going to a uh, 
one of the big boxes, they'll have 19 cash registers and three people on them. And, you know, it drives me nuts. And I'm thinking, we're selling time, so we've got to get people through the line. And uh, it's just that thing where we're very high customer service in orientation. And then on that time, I mean, they, our customers come in, and their expectation is that we will tell them the truth, know what we're talking about, and do it quickly. And we, yeah. we do that, we strive to do that. Even, I mean, there's multiple times we go, hey, you want to be doing this, you don't need, you know, do this instead, it's much it's much easier, much quicker, you know, much easier, much quicker, much cheaper, uh, or. So I, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. So I've interviewed a retailer who lives like basically in the backyard of Amazon or where Amazon's headquartered. Um, and then of course, Atlanta is Home Depot and you guys are pretty close to, um, the Lowe's headquarters. So what has that kind of experience been like, you know, is it, is it something where you have customers coming and saying, we, we like the customer service that we get from you all, or like, is it, I just wonder what it's like having kind of that big box headquartered in your, like near you guys. Honestly, every time they open up a one around us, our customer, our, our base, our, uh, our, our sales go up. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was funny, like 20 years ago when, uh, yeah, cause Lowe's and, and, uh, Depot you. first actually came head to head in Charlotte. It was the first time they really gone up against each other. And it was, uh, unreal. I mean, they were selling stuff below cost competing against each other. And I heard stories about uh, people would deliver a tractor trailer load of, of uh, roofing and they'd unload it. Yeah. And then the guy would go around and buy it back from them and load it back on the truck and hop the tack and take it off. And I mean, it was bizarre. I mean, we were buying stuff from them because it was just cheaper to buy it from them than even wholesale. And wow. We were using their credit cards too, so we got 30 days on it. And they kind of balked when we, we started asking them to deliver it. So, you know, it was, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, and actually, Lowe's surprised me. I didn't think they had a chance because it was a, like a, uh, just a out in the country operation. And I, I thought of all the people that are competing against them, they had the least chance. And, turned out that they've done by far the best. So, uh, yeah. Well, and I think, um, so I've been with, with the association since 2014. So I don't know as like, I know about the history, but I wasn't around through some of it, but from what I've heard from just some of our leaders and other retailers I've talked to is that it used to be a, you know, a much bigger, oh, the big boxes, that was the the big focus. And now in recent years, it's been more of like the online and kind of the the demands from the online world. Do you guys have, and I, I know I didn't ask this as any of my questions, but do you do much as far as like your online presence or, or has that been something that you've had to like look into or work on? We've looked into it in the past and um, we let, we let Ace do mostly online right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we do really do focus on our experience here because that's it, can, it comes down Definitely. to it's all actually about all the same thing whether it's a big box store or Amazon or Sears before that or Walmart before that it's that these those guys have a certain experience attached to them yeah. you, know, you go to a home yeah. depot on a Saturday we I mean, she used to run a commercial saying you have to take a hostage to get customer service at Home Depot <laughs> and um, <laughs> Or does you go any of those places, you have a certain expectation and it's not a fun expectation. You don't ever go, Hey, yeah. and we have, we have crafted and continue to craft an experience here that it's that people come to Blackhawk as something they look forward to doing. And so that's why we're trying to put in the slides, why we, you know, why we give out popcorn, why we have someone playing, you know, saxophone outside, why we have, you know, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts selling cookies outside. It's why we have so many things. Uh, it's why we, we've got two store dogs, Nacho and Scout. And also, oh. in the middle of Saturday, and throw a ball down the aisle and play fetch. And little kids run up, and they're just, can I play? You know, they throw the ball, then they pet Nacho and Scout. And it's, so it's about, you know, it's about making an errand fun and enjoyable. And that's something yeah. that, you know, Lowe's Gnome Depot, 
don't do. Amazon can't do. It's it's something you know. Hey, it's the experience. I want to go here. I want to spend my valuable time here, and that's yeah. That's how we. That's at least how I see us succeeding succeeding in the future as well. I, I think one thing that we learned a long time ago that. I think if you talk to any hardware retailer and they say, well, how are you going to compete? They always say, oh, we're going to do it on customer service. But what got me is years and years ago, they were, oh, we were doing a fair amount of advertising on TV and they would pay for these surveys and they would say, what kind of service do you get at Lowe's and Home Depot? And, and we were listed and we would get good. And then Home Depot and Lowe's would get good and it would drive me crazy. And I'm saying, how do they get the same rating we did? And the gentleman that was our manager then said, well, said, you have to understand that when somebody goes in there, their expectation is low price and a very little service. So if somebody doesn't spit on them while they're in there, then they think, hey, this is what I paid for, this is what I get. We're the opposite. People expect us to be much higher. So just what everybody thinks is a good level of service is not enough. You have to really um, step your game up, exceed what you think even is good service to get people to realize, oh, this is good service. And it's even gotten more difficult in the last 15 years as, as millennials have come along and people haven't experienced what used to be considered good customer service. It's just something everybody's not used to. And it's almost an exception when they go, people really waited on me and stayed with me or whatever. So anyway. I think um, something I've noticed too, and we actually have done a story kind of on what you're talking about, but we call it uh, shoppertainment is when mm-hmm. a retailer is making the shopping experience more than just coming in and picking up something. It's like, it's an experience to get to play with the dogs or to, uh, that's cool about that. You said you have saxophone players that'll play outside or, or different things like that. Like all those different things place those memories for people and make them want to come back. So I think that. You're, you're doing what a lot of retailers that have kind of figured that out. I think it's a, I think that's the key right now is to just kind of take that to the next level. Absolutely. Um, So can you maybe describe to our listeners, like what the store is like? I did it when you first opened it, was it in the same location and it was a lot smaller than it is today. So maybe tell us a little bit about the evolution of like the footprint of the store, where you're at now and kind of maybe what some of your like biggest categories are? Uh, well, when we opened up, we actually were in about uh, a building that we had 7,500 uh, square feet, but we could only afford to, to merchandise about 5,000 square feet. So the first five years or so we were in 5,000, we eventually opened up the warehouse. And I guess to say that we were undercapitalized would be, uh, <laughs> didn't even do that that justice. I mean, we were just, uh, as I try to explain to Andy, sometimes the, the uh, predecessor to Hillman and, and Midwest would come in and was sure and bolt. And we'd add a, a box and it was like $24 for the, for the box. And I'd have to sit there and go, all right, do I really want to spend $24 on this? trying to add stuff. So it, it, you know, it just was a slow building process over a, a number of years. And it, that it, it almost amazes me now that the amount we did, I think, um, during this Christmas season and one weekend, we did more business than we did in the first year I was open. So it's, wow. it's just like, you know, it's absolutely just, it's mind boggling sometimes. And I think, well, what, 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 what were we actually doing? How could we even stay busy? Uh, so it, it's been quite a change and we slowly just added on. We, we got it to 10,000 square feet where we were up. To, it's actually in the same shopping center, but it's across the parking lot. And okay. we were thinking about wanting to expand and the JC Penney's came open 
and it was like 30,000 square feet. Uh, and we went from 10,000 to 30,000 in one leap. And uh, it was it was a, an adventure and, and that's okay. And you know, it was disconcerting because I had people come in that had been customers for like 10 or 15 years and literally I didn't even know their name and they'd start telling me that that was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard anybody doing is going down there that I'm going to lose my shirt or whatever. And so, it, and, and I almost did to be quite honest with you. It was a, <laughs> a, a trial for several years, but it turned out to be the best thing we ever did. And I, you know, and I said uh, in the beginning of the podcast, we've now, we have actually now taken the basement of this building and turned turned it into retail as well. Dropped the elevator and a slide in the middle of the middle of the store, middle of an operational retail store in the middle of a pandemic. You know, why not? We can do it. <laughs> Just. I love that. Yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about the slide. Like, how did that idea come about? And it, it sounds like it's not fully complete yet, but I'd love to hear your kind of the idea behind it and and what you're envisioning like from that can can adults like if i were to ever visit your store would i be allowed to go on it or is it only for kids we hope, <laughs> we hope so we, we don't see now anyone to go on it uh we're, we're real start we're still trying to figure out the uh, logistics of it it turns out more complicated than yeah you think. We're, not, we're having to give artificial rest uh restoration to our insurance guy he's about to have a heart attack over it so um but it's all about you know once again it's all about experience it's like you know it's about it's like the popcorn that we give up for free or in the dogs it's something you remember it's you know as i said as you said earlier the saxophone player that the guy that I've, we hired that comes out and does balloon animals for free outside it's just fun um it's something to set us apart from anyone else yeah i love that um so can you tell us i guess a, a little bit about some of the different categories that it, like people are the most excited about when they come to your business it sounds like hardware is obviously part of it and it's what people come for but are there other products or things that you find people are coming and searching for almost even more or like what are some of those top niches for you guys well our top niches by far is housewares and um mm -hmm. kitchen shop um then grilling um then cabinet hardware is huge for us um, all the pools knobs door hardware it's a lot of it is that someone comes in with a need and just, you know, it's a, generally a small need. I need to, I need to fix my leaky sink or whatever, you know, whatever that is. And they, and we get that done for them so quickly by the time they turn back around, it's, you know, you kind of tell, Oh, that thing's done. And they start, they start looking around and go, Oh, that's cool. Hey, you've got, you know, 200 hot sauces on in, in stock let me try a new hot sauce or you know it's that type of thing or that kitchen that's a cool kitchen gadget i've never seen one that you know that cuts garlic so quickly you know we we kind of in a way pioneered niches as, as or expanding niches and the one thing that i've found is that you really have to make a commitment when you go into something and say okay you know, we're going to go into this, we're going to try it, we're going to gamble, and you kind of got to feel it out to you, um, to you see if it's going to be a success. And uh, it, it's just sometimes you, you're, you're not sure whether this is going to work or not. And uh, the, 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 we, when we first moved down here, we were in the wallpaper business and we were, thought we were going to sell vanities and stuff like that. And, you know, it was just, it just didn't work for us. And we got out of that, but we found a, uh, another niche that we like housewares. We, um, we've got about, I guess, 10,000 square foot of housewares. Um, and, but it's, you know, a, a real variety and a broad range on like napkins and, and, uh, paper goods and stuff will have uh, four or five aisles just of napkins with sayings on them. Uh, yeah. Or, or one, uh, a niche we just opened up is petting and birding that we, you know, we had a good birding selection forever and we had some, some dog and cat pet stuff, but we came in 
during this expansion went, all right, not only we're we going to add a dog wash first off, so we've got a, yeah, um, I was going to ask about that. We've got a dog wash in the back. And I, I'll tell you what, we've, I've got, two, I've got the two store dogs here and it's so easy to wash a dog. In this yeah. It's fantastic. Um, you can get one done in about five or six minutes and so much easier, but you know, all of a sudden we've got 48 feet of high end dog food, you know, not, not stuff you can find at Harris Teeter or any other grocery stores in town, not the Purina, the really high end ones. We've got eight feet of just raw frozen food. Wow. Um, we've, you know, probably 48 feet of pet toys, another 48 feet of collars and leashes. Um, and that's just a niche that there are pet stores around our area, but nothing's convenient to our area. And so yeah. it's a, it's a wonderful niche that you know, people love, people love their pets. Well, and the other thing we realized that, you know, the changing nature of some of the neighborhood is it's gone from houses to the more apartments, condos and whatever. And mm -hmm. you're more limited in, in the hardware you can sell to somebody who lives in a condo, but yeah. people have pets no matter where. And that's, that's one of the things we're counting on to just kind of balance out the changes in demographics and uh, around the store. But it also goes back to experience that we've had only for 10, 15 years, people, we've allowed dogs and you know pets in the store and people bring, I mean, people bring in their pets all the time. We even have a few training companies that now bring in their dogs that they're training to block off to train them here because they know we we allow it and you know we undo it. Get them used to. to being in the public, yeah. around the public, it's, you know. But it, and so you know it's amazing. It's actually truly astonishing all the time how many people brought in bringing dogs. Yeah. Yeah, I it was it was interesting. A couple of years ago, I was out uh, visiting some stores in San Francisco, and uh, I know it's like this all over, but it, I was talking to them because they for a actually fairly small store they had a pretty big pet section and the person that i was talking to was like yeah you know for a lot of people i mean it's their children because they don't have any actual children right now so they spend a pretty penny on their pets um oh, yeah. so that, that always kind of stuck with me i think it is something that you know people are just willing to to spend that money um so the dog wash station, what, how did you like find that? And like, that was something that was incorporated into your remodel. Can you maybe explain it to the, our listeners who might've not heard of that before? We, we had seen it someplace else before, I believe. Yeah, down in Wilmington, we had, uh, every time I go somewhere, I always visit stores and I'd go into the store. Yeah. The guy had, had set up and he'd actually just had little rooms almost and he was, just talking about how much, how many people came in and used it. And we ended up as part of going to a, a hardware show in Orlando, they were having the pet national pet show in the adjacent arena. So mm -hmm. we went over to that and we were going through and uh, came up on this dog wash. Uh, it was actually from the Netherlands. And wow. It was, uh, it was the, the design of it was just, it looked like almost like a space capsule or something. It's hard to describe all stainless steel. So it was all of a sudden, wow, that looks really good. And, uh, we, we started pursuing it from there. Uh, and actually there's a whole lot of profit in it. It's, uh, I think it cost us about 89 cent worth of chemicals and water and stuff to do it. And you charge 10 bucks. So it's a very yeah. uh, good margin on it. Um, so I had always followed you guys on social media and I mentioned that earlier, but I'd always followed you guys. I think we'd even like reached out a few times for like recommended products and things. Um, what, what are some of the like top products or things right now that you're noticing people are gravitating towards? Is there anything that like comes to mind that you're like, Oh, everyone wants this right now or or is it does it kind of fluctuate from month to month it absolutely it absolutely fluctuates month to month um this like what caught us slightly off guard this christmas season was the amount of outdoor decorating that was done mm -hmm. and people i think were just screw this we're gonna go 
all in on decorations and we yeah it just wasn't yeah. something we prepared we were exactly prepared for before that it was anything garden related because everyone was stuck at home and like everyone else we got caught in not just, just not be able to get supplies in and it mm-hmm. you know it's, it comes down to it you know anything that had a regular predictable demand curve for years and years and years just was devastated this year i mean you think about something like weed block i mean i could have sold two or three tractor trailer loads of weed block if i had it but you it's not something we traditionally sell that much of so yeah and you couldn't really predict it i don't think any i mean no one could have predicted just anything from last year really um has it though overall been a good like i mean it's it's not good what the country and everyone has has gone through but was it something that um ended up being a good experience because i feel like for the independent home improvement channel like you were you are and and were in the beginning considered essential so was that something that um i mean that's it's kind of a blessing in many ways i i look at other industries and and like the restaurant industry i just think it's it's going to be when when things open back up it'll be booming again but i mean like what are kind of your thoughts after after all of that hey i mean we're we're very incredibly thankful we're in the industry we're in we we got it was just sheer luck that we as you said we're in a, we were in a central industry that you know we never had to close down um we were in a large enough space that you know social distancing was never a problem as I yeah. mentioned earlier, our customer is very highly educated. So mask was never a problem. Forcing that was never a problem. Um, I think the other thing we, we benefited from was the online presence of ACE. We sold about $400,000 uh, through ACENET th- this year. And we wow. were actually able to pick up on products that we'd never thought about carrying or, or uh, I think Eco was one of the lines that all of a sudden we started getting these things in and we're going, where are people getting this and, and whatever? Yeah. And we actually added that. And, you know, just, it was, uh, and it helped us realize, okay, there's some, some other things out there um, that we can, we can sell. Plus the grill business was, uh, phenomenal. We sold 50% more grills than we did the year before. And it was a record year. Wow. Well, so. I think just so many more people, you know, obviously, cause they kind of had to be and, and now mm-hmm. it's opening back up to in a sense, but I feel like people have become more like home focused where for, I feel like for a few years, um, it was a lot more experience, like experience based for people. And now I feel like people are going back to what can I do to improve my home and make it like, my home is now my resort. So I don't know if you noticed that even from like people doing a lot more home projects and things like that too. Oh, absolutely. People are, people are, our indoor garden jobs exploded because people now want, you know, now we're stuck at home. They want, they want to make that space so much nicer. Mm-hmm. And, but on the opposite side, we sit down when this first happened and try to figure out what was going to happen and <laughs> about, 20% of our business was cabinet hardware and mm-hmm. builder's hardware. And, you know, we started realizing, okay, people are not going to want people coming into their house doing work. So we anticipated that it was going to drop and it did drop. Uh, but it took a while because, it, you know, it's a, like two or three month cycle. People were ordering stuff and this all of a sudden happened. So it took a couple, three months for it to, really affect us and now it's starting to come back. People are relaxing and starting to do projects more where they're involving outside workers coming into the house. So I'm anticipating, I, I read a lot about the, the 1920s was after uh, the pandemic of eight, 1918. Yeah. World War II, I mean, World War One was over and I, I'm really hopeful that things are going to turn out the same way because people haven't spent money on vacation. They're saving yeah. breaks for up and all that. And all of a sudden they're going to get out. And I think they're going to, uh, yeah, maybe an explosion of, of the booming twenties around two. 
Yeah, that's a, uh, that's what the roaring twenties. That's what it was. Yeah. But going back to your original question, um, you know, the, probably the bigger challenge this year was that we lost so much of our staff overnight, just instantly, mm -hmm. and sales took an initial dip, but then came back. But we were doing the same thing with a whole lot less staff. And it was more about a culture change and how do you manage stress? What do you do? You know, it was about, it was more of a culture change, how you had to go, hey, we're in this together. How do we support people? How do we support each other? How do we make this a fun, fun yeah. environment to work in? I mean, things like, you know, we're about to do, uh, our employees organize the Nerf War. We're coming up next uh, next Wednesday. Oh, after these store closes, we're gonna have shoot Nerf guns at each other. <laughs> Just those type of things is what the real like is what the opportunity of 2020 ended up being. Yeah, I need to say something too. When this first happened, we we have a significant amount of people that are older, uh, yeah, retired and whatever. Oh yeah, and. Uh, we went to everybody and wrote a letter and said, look, we realize that this is going to be a problem for a lot of our uh, employees. And if everybody will step up and try to cover an area, anybody that can't work, we're going to continue to pay them. Wow. And everybody stepped up and said, yeah, this is great. We don't mind doing it. We're glad to have a job. So we paid people for a couple of months before they came out with a PPP thing. Yeah. Um, and so I can't say enough about the employees um, stepping up and Barb and I didn't take a salary so we could, you know, continue to pay people. And, and that's so, that's, that's huge. What are some of the things that you focus on with your, with your employees? Well, I think one of the things is the culture of the average person, I think, that workforce has been here 13, 14 years. And we've had people that have been with us 35 years or wow. whatever. You were talking about generational things. Actually, I think it was the second employee that I ever hired, uh, a young lady that was just in college or starting college. And we ended up hiring her sister, her brother. And then we she met her husband here. Her sister met her husband working for us. They all work together. And then their children have actually worked for us. And so we've had two or three generations of just that one wow. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I know sometimes family businesses get a bad name, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, but Everybody that works here generally gets along. Usually if somebody doesn't get along, they're not here that long and people that fit in. Um, yeah. I've always tried, had the idea that, you know, if you try to hire for, oh, they've got skills as an electrician or whatever, that's not as, you can train electric, mm -hmm. you can train somebody on plumbing and electrical. You can't train them on personality. I mean, you've no. got, got a personality that's good for this situation or not. So we try to hire somebody that, that I'd like to sit down and have lunch with for the next five years, uh, yeah. rather than hiring somebody who knows plumbing because somebody has been under a house doing plumbing all their life. It's probably not just a personality and whatever. So I think that's a huge, uh, thing to kind of realize because, uh, we, we actually talked to a retailer. He's, um, based out in the Northeast. And he spoke at one of our trade shows uh, last year. It ended up being virtual. But he talked a lot about how for them, it was bringing the, bringing the employees to the forefront and saying, yeah, our customers are important, but our employees come first because if they're not happy, then they're not going to do what they need to do for the customers. And it's kind of this whole cycle. And I just thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. Cause I think so many times people are always like the customer is always right. And yes, but you need to also have your employees back and, and do things to help them as well. So. Yeah. No, basically how you treat somebody is how they're going to treat your customer. Yeah. With respect and you know, try to look out for them. 
the, the culture becomes, hey, this is, I enjoy working here. I'm, people take ownership in the business. And that's, you know, I read somewhere that culture eats strategy for breakfast. But, you know, people always go, oh, I got this strategy. But, you know, if you don't have the right culture where people culture's king. buy into the, what they're doing and, and whatever, then you don't really have a chance. So. I mean, it's simple as happy employees keep good customer service. Unhappy ones do not. It's yeah. Um, so I guess I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on like what you enjoy the most about being a part of this industry and what are some of the things you're looking forward to, you know, in the next few years or things you have kind of coming down the pike for you guys. I'll tell you the, the industry wide out, you know, you go to, I'll say you go, I've been to, I don't know how many trades, not nearly as many of you, you have, but I've genuinely never met a, a just a crummy person when he's everyone in the harbor business is just genuinely nice, kind people that that are willing to help you out. I mean, it's it's amazing when we go, we we travel places and we just stop in hardware stores or we go visit other hardware stores. I mean, people they will drop everything they're doing. They have no idea who we are or anything like that. And they, you know, show us show us around. You know, happy to answer any questions. And we ride, we try to do the same thing. You tell them another hardware store owner comes in. You know, we want to give them the full tour of what questions we can answer for you and you know, help each other out. It's that's probably the biggest thing with this industry. Going along with that, uh, recently, one of the sales reps for our wholesaler brought somebody down from Washington, D.C. that was contemplating going in the hardware business. And they, they had described mm-hmm. wanting to do something similar to what we're doing. And it mm-hmm. turns out that they were in the restaurant business. And when the pandemic pandemic broke out they were trying to buy umbrellas and tables and they started going to different stores and they went to like eight or nine uh ace before they could find their you know enough tables and whatever that they needed and when they got through husband and wife looked at each other and said man all these people are so nice maybe we need to be in this business and that's how i thought that was kind of ironic you know um, are you, will you be excited to get back to in-person, like the in-person ACE show, or I don't know what, do you guys go to a bunch of other trade shows since you are so heavily in, in housewares, or do you get most of your housewares through ACE? Uh, no, we, um, we, um, once again, our buyers go down to Atlanta to the America's Mart. Uh, and, uh, it's, that's, that's where we, cause we think we buy from somewhere between eight and a thousand outside vendors besides ACE. Oh. And we find the vast majority of them there in Atlanta at the um trade show or at the america's mart mm-hmm. i personally do it is the virtual shows just aren't the same you it, it's yeah. it's hard it's it's just so much easier to walk into a showroom and go i'll take two to you know to see it and make a bunch of decisions really quickly to move on then mm-hmm. scrolling through web pages same thing i didn't like actually go over um, i fly over to china and vietnam once a year to buy pottery I didn't get to go last year. Um, we we do a good, a fantastic garden center business in pottery, and we we had a we're lucky enough to have a fellow A store owner invite us to his buying trip in China one time. Yeah, so I'm looking. I'm looking forward to getting back and doing those because you do get a lot of great ideas from trade shows as well. Definitely, meeting meeting people and just talking to you. You get an idea of ideas that you wouldn't have thought of or just different perspectives that's what i enjoy the most about it is just meeting with people and start talking and they go oh this is what oh, yeah. what i what i'm doing or whatever and you go eureka you know i'm not the smartest yeah. guy i'm not that inventive but i'm uh, i'll copy the hell out of something <laughs> yeah, we, we call it r and d no need to recreate the wheel um, Rip off yeah. the boy. I, I, yeah. I'm always like, so I've always been traveling and visiting retailer stores and getting ideas for, you know, stories or different things going on with us and connecting with people. So I, I'm the same way. I definitely miss meeting people in person, but the nice thing, at least technology, like I'm able to see your guys' faces and, and we're able to have a good conversation okay. and, uh, <laughs> too bad I can't shake your hand. Yeah. 
No, you you got to give it the COVID bump. Yeah, yeah. The, the bump, the bump, and then get the hand sanitizer out just in case. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, what you were just saying, uh, I was I took a trip up the um, Baltimore, Maryland, or Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia earlier this year to go mm -hmm. visit other A stores. Just did you see any of Gina Schaefer's stores? She's with the hard stores. Uh, she's yeah. a retailer. She, I think she used to be on the ACE board, but I'm actually working with her on some stuff coming up, but she, her, her operations are pretty cool too. She's got, I think 13 throughout DC and Baltimore. Yep. I think I saw a couple I think I've walked in a couple of hers and just, yeah. you know, everyone does something very well and it's nice to go, go see it and go, Hey, I can do that too. I'll just copy them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, I think that's awesome. And, and building connections with other retailers is, is huge. And so, um, is there anything else we didn't get to talk about today that you want to share with our listeners or, you know, maybe they're hearing this and going, Oh, I've got the itch to go to Charlotte. I want to go see the Hornets and then walk through the walk through Blackhawk hardware. Can't think of anything to, uh, that we didn't cover. <laughs> we, we'd love to, if, yeah. if, if you'd love to come, let us know. Yeah. Or just drop in. We're, we're used to people coming in. So, Well, thank you guys both so much for uh, taking time out of your busy days to talk to me and and uh, talk with our talk on the podcast so our listeners could hear about you all and what you're doing. And um, it's just been great getting to talk to you and get to know you. And I, I do hope to meet you in person one of these days. I heard you say you all, so apparently you're... Oh, sorry, excuse me. I know, I'm a, as my cousin would say in Atlanta, you're a Yankee. I'm like, I know, i got to work on it, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, come stop by anytime. We're happy to have you. I appreciate, appreciate the opportunity here. The nomination period for the 2021 Young Retailer of the Year Award Program is now open. The North American Hardware and Paint Association has recognized young leaders under the age of 35 who represent the future of independent hardware and paint retailing for 25 years. If you know someone who qualifies, visit yournhpa.org Y-R-O-T-Y to learn more. The deadline to apply is February 28th, so don't delay. Big thanks to the program sponsors, Arrow, Epicor, Fluid Master, IPG, MyTech, Midwest Fastener, and Pony Jorgensen.